Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 295. Today is Sunday the 23rd of September 2018 and this interview is with Liz Basslar. Liz is a renowned entrepreneur and speaker at the cutting edge of fashion, retail and technology. Credited with driving the link between fashion and technology, aka fashion tech, Liz is a dynamic and forward-thinking entrepreneur who, amongst other activities, founded and sold Decoded Fashion. In this conversation with Liz, we discuss her journey with Decoded Fashion, some of the lessons learned within the fashion industry, and the constraints and opportunities in B2B. We also hear about the launch and the development of her latest initiative, The Current, an innovation firm providing outsourced innovation for companies around the world, including the reverse pitch concept they've created. It's a tremendously stimulating conversation. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. So Liz Bassler, it's lovely to have you on the show. I've been tracking you. We've had chances to hang out together. You've done many things, uh, including, in, including uh, founding and selling decoded fashion, uh, and you're on you're onto many new initiatives. So, Liz, in your own words, describe us who you are and what you do. Nice to see you here in New York, Mentor. I. I can't believe I, I'm saying this phrase because you hear people saying and it sometimes it comes across annoying. A serial entrepreneur? Yeah, Did I just are. say that? You're allowed to say you're a serial entrepreneur. So um, I want to want to dig in on decoded fashion because we're going to get to what you're on to right now, uh, later, more currently, should we say. Um, so decoded fashion, that's how I first came across you and it, it immediately appeared to me as a brand. It appeared to me as something that had been around for a long time. That's how I came across it. So I was wondering if you could just dissect how you managed to to create that brand so quickly and make it have such an impact. It, it was a fantastic story. I come from media. I was a journalist for 10 years. And when you look at 2010 is what I call the beginning of times for for the industry as we see today. Um, it was the first time the technology really took notice in fashion and beauty and retail. And it started to find a way in. And the world of fashion, retail and beauty started hearing about all these tech things that were going to change our lifestyle so much. If you think back then, we didn't have really iPhones. Like iPhones were version one and some people had it. And um, it's just so crazy. And there were so many things that were not part of our lives. Like there was no Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook was still nascent and there's no commerce and all the apps in my travels around the world covering tech all my all of the apps that i came across were magenta apps created by men saying that my wife liked fashion so i built that app and essentially what the app did is take a picture share with your friend should i be wearing this or should i be wearing something else it was all very stupid so i I had an epiphany. We have a humanitarian crisis. It, it is a lot of smart people building dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my business plan. My business plan was I'm going to take these people, the builders, the creators, in the room with the industry and ask them to just listen. Listen to the problems that this industry has. And my prediction was that the entire world of tech would turn to B2B. And I saw that being called fashion tech. 
And in 2011, I had I launched Decoded Fashion, and I decided to recoin that phrase, fashion tech, to be the name of an industry. Mm-hmm. That the core of the, of of it was B two B tech, was a technology that can change can affect uh, an enterprise and people ask me what do you mean when you say fashion tech it doesn't mean e-commerce businesses it doesn't mean direct to consumer it means any technology that has value in this conversation of lifestyle brands consumer retail brands i started with an event because it was an introduction the first step was introduction introducing this culture to this other culture the first uh, phase of the, it was a completely self-funded initiative and we decoded fashion i had never been to a conference before hmm. <laughs> when I created my own conference, so I did not know that food's supposed to suck and it's supposed to save money on a venue. Uh, so I launched that Lincoln Center with fantastic food. And and I just kept that. I kept the aesthetics. I thought it would be. I had a lot of fun crossing the cultures, bringing a lot of tech people to a very fashionable environment and then taking the fashion executives to a very techy content in a way that they could understand. So the big launch was in 2012, um, and that was a big event, 700 people. And that was intro- introduction, right? It was introducing uh, the fashion executives to these leaders of tech for the first time in their lives. Uh, the um, founder of Foursquare was there, Bonobos, and he, I remember explaining what um, what Instagram was on stage and uh, Tumblr. The Dave Carp from Tumblr was there. And um, it was really the beginning of everything. From that, we launched the first startup competition that has ever happened mm-hmm. um, in the space. It was in London. It, it was in 2012 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2012, I realized that we're sourcing winners from everything that's out there. But a lot of what's out there is direct to consumer. It's not really am- amazing because they never had access to to contacts, to mentors in fashion, retail, and beauty. So they're trying to guess what needs to be built. What if we create it together? What if we do the world's first fashion hackathon? So that was April 2013, no, February 2013. That was a, a mammoth hackathon. I will never do that again with mm. 650 people. Mm. No one should do a hackathon with 650 people live. Not first time anyway. No one should because you end up with 72 teams which is a lot. No one should judge 72 teams. Um, and we had to create um, a situation that there, were, there was a qualification round and then 35 teams qualified and then we judged those. It, it was a, a mammoth event. Um, we had five finalists. Then we stopped the event there. We had two weeks to get them ready for Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week. So between the Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein shows, they actually walked the runaway. We created this hacking set up that they pitched uh, their creations to the head of the CFDA and Zach Bosen, the designer, and Yermin Coffee was so absurd because it was so cool. Mm. And it was the first time that I told the industry of technology, um, stop forcing down your, your techiness in the industry. Mm. You should be able to describe what you've built based on their perspective. You should not use any technical words at all. No, no jargon, nothing. So this it sounds like there are many things. One is you're moving the tech industry's approach. But at the same time, as I listen to you, it does seem to reflect the fact that at in 2012, and as you know, I worked at L'Oreal, to 2009 beauty fashion were as late as many other industries in getting into tech and it's sort of ironic because a lot of them are fmcg and consumer Mm -hmm. facing 
And so I wanted you to, to qualify that. And do you feel that that's an accurate statement? And, and if so, do you think that they've caught up? And, and then how could they, where should they be focusing the energies today? So uh, that curiosity, meeting the technology world, ignited a curiosity to have pilots and, and, and create moments together. And that made the, the startups start pitching to the comm scenes, right? So every brand that did something with tech between 2011 and 2014, it was all comms first. It was about the press release, mm-hmm. the impressions, are people going to talk about this? And startups, they actually need a contract. Like, it's not just stunts. They need clients. Uh, if you do something that you do with AR, are you going to do it again? Uh, you can't just do it once, right? You believe in the value of AR for conversion. And no one wanted to talk this way. The brands did not want to talk this way. Um, another thing that they've done that fed the, the gimmicks in the press release, unfortunately, is the incubators and the accelerators, which is a model that's supposed to be something deeper, long-lasting. When the brands touched that and they, they did it their own way, it was all for, for show. Uh, I, I challenge. I, I, I have friends that lead some of the top accelerators and incubators in the world for brands today. I still don't see the ROI. Mm. I see the ROI for the startups. They had a great time. They met some people. But even for them, they don't walk away with contracts. So I think it's not an honest conversation. Uh, I hear you. And you were talking about how it was uh, about moving away from B to C to B to B. Mm -hmm. B to B is so cool. It it is. (laughs) And I can't help but think that that is also really about culture change. Talk us through why B2B is cool and what type of culture change you see was needed to happen, was needing to happen in the beauty and fashion world. And then we're going to get on to the current after. Sure, sure. So at that time in 2011, 2012, you saw, I saw the majority of startups that wanted to be known as being in this fashion tech space to want to be cons- direct to consumer. They wanted to acquire users right which is which is insane too like the and not really understanding the cost of acquisition um then some of them were chasing influencers like trying to create this game that to chase this game that brands have to to chase and but they're much more experienced on and b2b i'm a big ambassador of b2b because it's you focusing on what you do best you being able to tap into someone else's audiences, some of the world's most incredible brands, and being able to bring value to them and have their audience see what you've built and be part of your story without you having to be bogged down with all the PR and marketing, a world that you don't understand anyways. Mm. You um, were saying before that the that the a lot of these companies don't even know their consumer, and that's sort of a frightening remark for companies that are parenthetically FMCG. So just to tag on B2B, what I loved about B2B, and I worked in the hairdressing industry, was that you're not only trying to provide value to them, you're trying to provide value to people where you have a shared passion. And it's it's not distracted by also interested in fragrances or also interested in, in flowers. And also, yes, I could be interested in lots of other things, but in the B2B world, there's a sort of focused 
passion that's shared. So I want to I want to get on to Liz uh, to the current. Sure. Um, and this is your your latest uh, baby. Yes. Um, and it's uh, I've been a, I've been a subscriber of the current, and I recommend people listen to the podcast and and down your your newsletter. But describe to us what is the current because it, it seems to be a little bit more than that. <laughs> so to to talk about the evolution, right? So you you are at 2016 when I left the code of fashion. The worlds of fashion and tech and retail and, and consumer brands in general, they were meeting tech and liking each other but not knowing how to work together. And a lot of those conversations was falling apart. I was watching all of that and wondering how could we affect that. That seemed to be the new calling, the the new calling for me. It wasn't just putting people in the room, it was helping them figuring out a plan of action. And I, I had someone that I loved in, in London, Rachel Arthur, who's a journalist that I've read for many years. She actually, she actually started Fashion Tech before I did, which is not that many people out there. She made one of a handful of people in the world that said that those words before I did. And we share that passion and frustration for being catalysts of actual action. And uh, we talked about actionable in innovation. How can we be agents of actionable innovation? So we looked at who is out there in the world telling brands, guiding them on what are the major trends today? Um, what possibilities are there for innovation? Not futuristic stuff, but immediate future, just like Wired Magazine, right? Immediate future, next two, three years. How do you tap into them today? And who do you tap into it with? Um, another message that we're very passionate about is Stop thinking you can do innovation on your own. That's a very idiotic conversation. It's not a hiring game. It's not being able to tap into funds to create divisions. That's not how this is done. Um, it's about you understanding that you need outside players to ignite what you're doing that serves internal goals. So we think that every innovation team should have an external partner that scouts for them, that, that, that works for them, that it's the editor eyes for them and with the current we are the first agency to work that way we're the first firm to work that way so we're an innovation firm that is for many incredible brands their innovation team we go to all the events around the world we have uh, about six thousand startups in our database there's a hundred that we represent as agents and we grow in that list we just we only have a hundred because we're only a year old and what we do with the, with these brands and this and the startups and all this knowledge is to guide them by by flipping the pitch. We think that all the way up to now, 2018, technology meeting brand executives is opening up a deck and showing them a chatbot or showing them an AR or an AI or blockchain. If you want to say, if you want to go there, no, I can go there good. if you want me to go there. Uh, and you see that founder, maybe it was a cool guy or cool girl that you liked and you charismatic, you want to work with them, but still you don't close because they're pitching you in a vacuum. What's that, what else is out there? Can you trust what they're saying? Does it really work? So those deals take too long to close because it's a very unfair conversation. It takes too much time to audit this conversation and bring it to a point of action. So we flipped that completely. We removed the tech from the room. We moved the founders from the room and we talk about the themes. So VR, why? Why do you want VR at all? How, why does it matter? How can that bring, bring ROI for you? Oh, and then you realize maybe what we should be thinking about is AR. Um, okay, what kinds of AR? What are the uses of AR? Uh, what kind of outcome do you want? And we create a map very quickly. This takes an hour and a half in which they call for specific startups in the room. 
And when that happens, it's magic. Right. It's a reverse pitch. It's a reverse pitch. So we did that for Gucci. We hmm. went over um, um, a list of partners and we created a short list of 42 possible partners for Gucci. We sat with the leaders of Gucci, the 12 of them. Um, and we went over our methodology on pretty much creating a... Um, um, it's like testing the effect of each one of those partners based on re resource, uh, budget, and, and, and time timeline. And then they decided like a, a handful that they wanted to meet and they decided a specific number of the ones that they wanted to work with. Contracts were signed right away, done. The pilots are out there. All right. So uh, I, uh, a lot of things I wanted to talk about that. One of them, and, and it's uh, obviously a word that you share with me is the need for strategic intent. And one of the issues I see a lot is that companies yeah. obviously want to do digital, are more or less aware of what's going on, but struggle to make the action to happen. And and when you dig deeply into what they're trying to achieve, you find out that their strategic intent is not clear and certainly not always shared, which renders it very hard to make a decision afterwards, mm -hmm. on, especially quickly. Yep. So when you talk about the Gucci example, if you can share what, how how did that conversation ignite the forty four, if you will? You know, mm -hmm. what was the relationship between how clear my understanding of my strategic initiative or strategic challenges, and then the solution that can come out with it? We, we've been, so Rachel and I have been in this world of fashion and tech since the beginning. So all the flavors and possibilities from material supply chain to software to hardware, we've seen it all. And that really helps. From the other point, we, are, we also have monitor very closely every story that brands have created, right? Every single tech pilot that was out there. We have a database of thousands of stories about that. So we know what's been done so we can do new things. And... In that initial conversation, um, we don't search, we don't talk about tech until we create something called the strategy, the innovation brief. And the innovation brief is a, it's a contract, it's a informal contract between the brand and us about what it is they're looking for and what objective do they have. This sounds straightforward, but it's not. Many brand executives don't have a clear objective mm -hmm. in their mind. Um, and we want them to think more like closer to this align with the CEO as much as possible. We want them to create stories that could be shown to the board, right? And and that's how brands survive and, and, and create growth. And we think about innovation beyond tech for tech's sake. It's strategy. They love to see. People love to say, I don't want to do tech for tech's sake. But they don't work strategically. So I don't know what they're doing, right? That's the only way. And one last thing, there is an erosion of trust. Um, we know that from media, there's an erosion of trust. We, that's something that's talked about in so many different fields. But from the tech sake, any startup that's smart enough to draft a press release can get coverage somewhere, okay? And now the way journalists are paid and the way the media operates, no one has time to look under the hood anymore. So everything is a freaking illusion, okay? So half of the... More than half of the blockchain stories I've seen out there and people excited about and repeating them, they're not real. It's not even blockchain at all. It's blockchain-like.
Okay. Uh, there was a startup from Chicago that I met that's an artificial intelligence startup. They described themselves as artificial intelligence. And, and I looked at how it worked. And I said, I see the artificial, but I don't see the intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's an if this, then that. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's, there's not a lot of strategic thinking. Uh, and there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction and hype. So we, the reason about the, yes, we are consultancy, but why the editorial, why the content, why the media sparkle in that? Because we're trying to show to everyone that we are editors. We actually take responsibility for our opinions. We have opinions and we have experience to be able to brag that we're rarely wrong. When you look at the onboarding, so let's go back to the Gucci example only just to, to show the, the general gist, which is, you've got outside support. You mentioned you have to have collaborations. You go and you find these external people, but how do you make the right choice? And I'm specifically thinking about the cultural fit mm -hmm. between a large corporation like Gucci and some startup that comes from Israel. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good question. That's why we think the third-party model, um, the agent model is so important. So when startups, they ask us what we are, we, we tell them we are CAA for tech. Right? We are a talent agency. Um, because you need that agent. I can agent. tell you've been out in Hollywood. I know, right? I, I actually have. <laughs> so the, the office in LA is lovely. You should come see it. We, we, we don't think we should leave the room until the rules of engagement are, are really clear. And many, many of our clients actually don't want us to leave the room until the project is done because they don't have the bandwidth or the culture internally to handle conversations with the startup. A startup has uh, very few resources and a lot of needs. And a brand um, has a lot of needs and sometimes a lot of few resources. It's hard to tell. Some brands that look very large, they not. They don't have that many resources. Right. And... and and also um, brands, when they say Monday, 3 o'clock, they actually mean it. There's a, a whole chain of events that happen if that doesn't happen. And when startups hear Monday, 3 o'clock, they hear Monday-ish, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, that cultural uh, part that, that can make contracts fall apart. I know of many startups, they're very known in the market today, that brands have been telling us that, they, that working with them has been an absolute nightmare. But great technologies. So the, the most important thing is, First is the pitch, being able to have that ambassador, that person that understands the client and be the client facing. We, it sounds a little arrogant to say, but we can pitch tech better than any founder, right? Because we know the client better than anyone does, unless they come from the industry. If they come, then it's fine, I understand. But that rarely happens. Um, so having, being able to have your pitch be reversed to be from the client angle, very powerful. So we do that. And the second point is having that player that understands what at stake for both sides. We have one example I wish I could tell you the clients. They're way too famous for me to be able to mention. But this client was cutting a deal with uh, an AR company. Okay. Here from New York, yes, I'm into reality company in New York. Something really cool to be done in store. And in the contract for the pilot, the 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 brand, the fashion brand, wanted to draft a contract. They have teams of 20 lawyers, right? Uh, and the startup is just the startup and the founder. And they put a clause there um, that they own the IP of the pilot. And that, that if a VC uh, of a round investing in the startup, they were to hold this contract, it could technically mean that they own IP of the startup. They didn't intend to cause harm for the startup, but their harm 
could have co- could have been caused. Sure. So we caught that and we protected the startup and said this cannot happen. So you, I, the agent people don't understand sometimes how powerful it is to have an agent protecting your, your interests and to being your voice and pitching you better than you can pitch yourself. Right. When you're working with your clients and or the entrepreneurs and startups, to what extent does purpose enter into the conversation? Is it sort of nice to have? Is it for some important? Or is it relevant at a higher level? What do you think? I think it's really important because uh, purpose, as I see, um, is is what we call the why, right? Uh, so many times the projects don't have a why. So we talk about it, it's but are we having it? It's just a what. More and more we need to create moments to, to develop that purpose. And that should always come before the what. And I see all the time is conversations that start with the what. And they sound like, so blockchain, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> and then my question is, why? Why? There's, there's a world of possibilities for blockchain years from now. But when you think about retail and fashion, there's two, only two applications right now today that could make any sense in the business way. And those are? Authentication and a provenance. So for you to show a story of a supply chain because it aligns with your brand to bring extra value to your to your customer, to your consumer by showing that story or for you to have something that's um, a collectible if it's a streetwear or, or if it's a luxury item and authenticating that in a way that is non-adulterable. Right, to get to trust. To get to trust that that's actually what I should be paying that much money for and everything that's out there like all the tags and all the QR codes and all that stuff is completely hackable. My daughter could could hack that if she wanted the second one is provenance provenance is being able to have the each one that touched the each each partner that touched the production of this item um to be to 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 be certified by this by this platform that is foolproof that you are you um if we say that this was produced in italy to prove that that was produced in italy then again it smacks of trust so i want to finish on one years with the diamonds um showing where the diamonds are from yes the blockchain has a little role all right so liz last question you are a serial entrepreneur as we said at the outset what would you say are the lessons that you'd like to impart if you had in front of you a room full of entrepreneurs young entrepreneurs leaving high school or sorry university or wherever they're leaving you don't have to have a university degree (laughs) What would you think are the things that, that drive uh, your success and, and is something that's shareable and uh, inspirational for the rest? And then do they have to be young? Good <laughs> question. Entrepreneurship with age. One thing that I see nowadays that's so exciting is the rise of the 40-year-old founder. Yeah. Um, in Japan, I spend a lot of time in Japan, and the startup community is full of them. Yeah. A lot of the startups there, they're really exciting. They have very experienced uh, executives that just just got tired one day and decided to become an entrepreneur. And just just to finish on that, in Japan, are we seeing women entrepreneurs or are they mostly men converted from the business? Mostly men converted from the business. When I launched my, my first company there, Dakota Fashion, in 2015, I, I worked so hard to try to find female entrepreneurs to be part of the event. Any stage, I found one. I found one. And 
it gotten better. There, there's some great accelerators there, um, and uh, like Samurai is one of them. And in last time when I stopped by Samurai uh, to visit, I saw women in the room. I got really excited. So Japan has transformed itself a lot in the past five years. Um, but the rise of the older entrepreneur, it's still going on there, and I love that. All right, so, so whether it's the older entrepreneur so uh, or the younger, on? what, yeah, what sure kind so. of uh, sure, lesson sure. would you like to impart? I, I think waiting for funding to fuel your dreams, I think that's bullshit. Um, if you have something, you have skill, you have the, the skills to do it, you have a unique idea that you're passionate about, um, and if you have a team, if it's, it's software you're going to need, to convince somebody to build it if you don't know how to build it yourself. Um, if you have a team, think about what other areas of revenue that are closely related to what, to what your goal is and see if you can tap into that revenue. One a good example that I have is a trend startup that I'm an advisor of. It's a data analytics startup. And they trying to build this platform, and but they really, really good about anything data. They're fantastic experts on that. So they created a side consultancy to fund themselves. And it really worked. Um, they got some angel money, but they didn't need an A round for a long, 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 long time. Sounds like Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, they they got inspiration from him. But um, every company I had was self-funded. Um, with the current, I, I did have some angel funding from friends that I wanted to be associated with. Uh, but there is something very heartbreaking about you putting the beginning of your dreams into somebody else's hand and you're in this very delicate stage of prototyping and alpha for you to try to convince someone that you're capable and having people over and over question your worth and question you, your credibility. I think that's something that should, that should come later on when you have a little more self-assurance that you know exactly what you're after, that you're able to test a couple of things and now you just want to scale. In that game of growing, by all means, go after the money and go grow it, right? If you cannot self-fund. But if you don't have a prototype, I think you need to be very creative and not put yourself into the funding game too soon because it really breaks your heart sometimes. Beautiful. Liz, how can someone follow you? What are the best ways to track you down and catch up with everything you're doing at The Current and everywhere else. Yay, we are obsessed about meeting people from all around the world, different ideas, learning what's popping up. If you have something that's launching, let us know what it is. I'm very easy to find. I'm very Googleable. You can find me as Liz Current on Instagram um, or Twitter or just Liz at thecurrentglobal.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Liz. Lovely to see you and I can't wait to catch you at South by Southwest. Thank you so much, Mentor. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. You mentioned in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas Hold me tightly, slowly we would 
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.